check, check. All right, thank you, Julia. Um, I do want to make mention, you probably noticed the new drywall over there by the restrooms and upstairs, if you've seen it online or have been up there. It, drywall it work is done, and now we're on to the next phase, which is painting. So if you have a gift to paint, you don't actually you don't even have to have a gift to paint, you just have to have a, have a mobile hand and arm, because it really won't take much skill. We have to do the whole thing in primer, and you know the drywall is sucking up that primer pretty good. So I'm gonna have to probably buy some more, but anyway, it's, we have to prime the whole thing, then we're gonna be painting it, the ceilings, the walls, everything. So if you like to paint, you are able to give your gift of time to help painting, let me know, we'll pick a date and uh, try to get that knocked out. So we can get that done, then the carpet guys can come in once we get the painting done, and we can start using those classrooms again. So if you haven't been up there, take a look. Um, thank you, Ben, and everyone else who's helped. Ben helped a lot with electrical. And your dad, Richie, helped a lot. And uh, I want to thank everybody for helping. Randy helped a lot. A lot of people are helping, so thanks for that. Yeah, Nathaniel. Where's Nathaniel? Yeah, thank you, Nathaniel. Uh, you guys helped a lot with demo and setup. So it's looking really good. It's going to be going to be great. So if you want to help paint, please help me paint. I don't want to do the whole thing myself. Me and Holly did uh, like an hour, hour and a half Saturday just painting the closet so we can get some of that stuff off the floor so we can get the carpet pulled out of there. And man, I, it took a while to do it because it was like, it was so thirsty. Just like, you roll it like, oh man, I hardly got one strip and it was gone. So the second coat will be much quicker, but we could use your help. So I think that's all the announcements. We are looking at catering options. Mark, do you have an update on that? Or is there still, we're looking at the, uh, what's it called again? The Pig and Grits in Burnsville. Holly and I ate there a couple weeks ago. I liked it a lot. Um, and uh, everyone I've talked to said they like it a lot. So they're looking at catering options from them and maybe some other ones. But we'll let you know as soon as we know. We'll put it out there to, to um, invite you to come to the banquet on that night. So, all right. Any other announcements need to make mention of before we go? All right. Well, um, and Jesus, his, his last name is not Christ. Uh, just so you guys know, if you had a phone book or were looking it up, it's, his last name is not Christ. Christ is a word used to describe who he is. And the word means anointed. Just like when they anointed a, a King David, King Saul, they broke open this, this thing of oil, just poured it all over him. Jesus is the anointed one. Not just as king, but he's anointed as king, he's anointed as prophet, priest, he's anointed as God, he's anointed as everything. So God is anointed, Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit in power. He went around doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. He is anointed to help you with your problems. Jesus anointed to help you with your problems, yeah. help me with my problems, not just emotional stuff. I mean, it could be anything, anything. So <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a little bit about this anointed one, Jesus, and his, what the Bible says he's anointed to do, because religion will tell you that he's not anointed to do those things anymore. He, was just, he just did that thing to, to show off or prove that he's God or something. I don't know what they think, but and he says clearly he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet they say he doesn't do these things anymore. I want to say that he does, amen? amen? I want to say that he does. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And I want to experience more because he hasn't changed. We've changed. Culture has changed. People have changed. But God has not changed. So when Jesus was 30 years old, he was baptized in the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, the Bible says this form came upon him. looked kind of like a dove. And it was the Holy Spirit came upon him. And Luke 4 tells us that Jesus was filled with the Spirit and then led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted by the devil during that time. So during his 40 days, uh, the Bible says in Luke 4, 14, after he finished them, it says, then Jesus returned in power 
of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the region, the surrounding region. So first we see Jesus filled with the Spirit at baptism. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast, to pray, to be tempted by the enemy. And then he was empowered by the Spirit after that fast. Luke records his first sermon after he was this empowerment of the Spirit, this amazing encounter that he had with the Lord, with God, in, uh, in his, happened in his hometown of Nazareth. Okay, we'll see this in Luke chapter 4. So you're thinking, at least I'm thinking, just empowered. Uh, his ministry's just starting. He's 30 years old. He's already seen some miracles and different things happen. And he goes to his hometown for, this, at least in Luke, it was the first recorded sermon afterwards. And um, we'll see how that went, okay? Luke 4, 16 through 21. So he came to Nazareth, and when he had been brought, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue of the, on the Sabbath day. So just so you know, Jesus had a custom to go to church on the Sabbath. It's a good thing to do, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus did it, and we should do it too. Their day was Saturday, our day Sunday, and, uh, but it's okay. Um, and, and he stood up to read. And was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. I just think it's just so cool to even think about. Jesus himself took the scroll unrolled it. It was, it was the time to read Isaiah 61, which is where we'll look at in a minute. Uh, and he was handed this book, and he read it. And he read the same book and the same thing that you're reading today. Yeah. Jesus did. Now, I'm not going to be good. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but anyway, all right. Uh, I was thinking of how people think that Jesus spoke English around here, and it had, anyway, but he didn't. But. So, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me, why? To preach good, the gospel or good news to the poor. Um, I'll get into that in a minute. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, really he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all were upon were all, were, uh, all eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus went on to say a few more things. He started talking to them about um, how prophets not with honor in his hometown. Then he talked about Elijah and Elijah and how they helped people outside of Israel and didn't help people in Israel. And whatever he said in that sermon, his first one after his empowerment in his own hometown, really excited the crowd. Um, I won't read it to you today, uh, just but you guys I'm sure know the story, but how well was his sermon received? What happened after that? They tried to throw him off a cliff. I haven't had that happen yet, praise God. I had, <laughs> I had some, some stuff happen, but none of that happened. He's in his hometown, and when you read this, this sermon that he did, that's the nuts and bolts of his whole sermon right there. I don't, you don't really see, like, well, what did they get so mad about? Why are they so upset? They're going to kill him over that. I mean, they, they should be proud of him. They're hearing all these stories and over here and in Capernaum and over Jerusalem and other places of all these miracles, stuff's going on. And yet they were ready to kill him. Now, when you think with this, Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit. He had favor with God and with man. But not everything went just peaches and cream in his life. Did it? All right, not everything would be always easy for him. Not everything was always went smooth in his life, and it doesn't mean it's going to always be easy in our lives either. 
Amen? I'm not, uh, I'm just saying sometimes it's going to be hard even when you're doing the right thing. Even he didn't do anything wrong. He's in his own hometown. And, uh, but some people were really upset. So sometimes life's going to be challenging, isn't it? And I think it's important to realize that just because something's going on in your life that's challenging doesn't mean that God's angry with you. Doesn't mean he's punishing you. Doesn't mean that he's taking his love from you or, or he doesn't even mean that you've sinned. Sometimes it's just going on in your life <clears throat> to refine the fire in you, right. to prune you, to get you to press in closer to the Lord. Sometimes it's just an attack from the enemy. Sometimes it's a test to your faith. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you just because you feel like you're being attacked. It might just mean the opposite of that. Jesus was attacked because he was the son of God, because he was the savior and Messiah. That's why the devil came for 40 days and 40 nights. He's tempted with all these things. That, that could, I couldn't imagine that being fun. He's hungry. There's crazy animals out there. Uh, I looked up what kind of animals are there. They have leopards. They have poisonous snakes. They have all kinds. Of, and he's sleeping out there in the dirt for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm like, yeah, that wouldn't be easy. And uh, I just want to say the Christian life can be hard. Right. Now, there's what is harder to me in my mind is the the life without Christ that's even much much harder but then you get saved and all of a sudden you have a new enemy the guy who was your friend kind of or at least we thought was our friend the devil all of a sudden now is our enemy and other you have new challenges come up so there will be challenges there'll be difficulties there'll be times of trials and testings but the word of the Lord will prevail in your life if you hold fast to it like Jesus did Amen. amen How many times were Peter and Paul ran out of town? They didn't do anything wrong. Think about Jesus. He was was rejected by friends, family members, uh, rejected, didn't ever do anything wrong, never did sin. So just because you're going through something, I just want you not to over-internalize it. I think there's something wrong with you. It might just be something that God's trying to get out of you. He's trying to work into you and work out of you. God didn't send Jesus out into the wilderness to kill him. He sent him out to the wilderness to be tempted to, to overpower the devil and to be empowered by the Spirit. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So I guess my point here is just because you're going through a tough season doesn't mean it came from God. It doesn't mean that you did something wrong. It doesn't mean this or that. You have to, you should, but you should take some time to pray about why is this going on. Is this natural? Is this spiritual? Is this just a season? Because sometimes it has nothing to do with you. All right? So going back to the story a little bit. Uh, before, before Jesus preached, I just picture it this way. I'm going to use some of my imagination today. This is not in the Bible. Just, you know, this is imaginary. Okay? I picture it this way. So picture Jesus coming to town with his disciples. They're walking from who knows where for how long it took them. And they get there, and Jesus' family and friends, oh, it's Jesus, yeah! They come running out, and they hug him, and they greet him, and they give him warm, warm hugs and handshakes and stuff like that, kind of like we did a little while ago. And I imagine they went through the normal pleasantries of catching up. Hey, Jesus, how's it going? What you been up to? What you been doing? And just, uh, what's going on? His mother asks him questions. They go in the house. They talk about things for a while. And they catch up. Hadn't seen each other for a little while. And Mary's like, hey, Jesus, so what you been doing? What's going on? Where have you been? Why have you been home more? And he's like, well, Mom, you know, I was recently baptized by our cousin John. Oh, really? Oh, that is so precious. That's so nice. That's so nice. You, John did that? Oh, that's so good. I just see her just like, that's so nice. And what did you do after that, Jesus? Well, after that, the Holy Spirit led me to go out into the wilderness uh, to live there for 40 days and 40 nights, and, uh, and I was fasting. Just something every mother would want to hear. Like, you, you say what? You did what? 
Why would you do that? Well, God told me to do that. Why would God tell you to go out into the wilderness with no food for 40 days and 40 nights with the wild animals? You could have been killed. Jesus, you need to take better care of yourself. I'm telling you, I've been hearing some stories about you sleeping here and sleeping there at these hostels or whatever. You need to take better care of yourself. I don't know, that's just my imagination. That maybe it's something my mother would say or a certain other mothers would say. But I just imagine her like, you know, kind of like worked up. Like, why are you doing this? And uh, Jesus said, relax, Mom, I, I'm okay. My, my father's going to take care of me. And, you know, he could say that and in a way because he knows the Father. Right. And when you know the Father and you know the intentions of the Father, it's a lot easier to trust the Father. Yes. It's a lot harder to trust somebody that you don't know and you don't know their intentions. If he thought for a minute that the Father was taking him out there in the wilderness to die by a, a, a rattlesnake bite or some kind of poisonous snake bite, he probably wouldn't have went out there. <laughs> but he didn't he wasn't sent by the father out there to kill him he was sent out by the father to empower him okay it's important to know uh, now did Jesus need to be more careful did he need to be more fearful did he need to be more logical or did he need to obey what the father told him to do right okay I'm moving along but um, Jesus Likely, he said, relax, mom. I, I was fine the whole time. Nothing happened. Relax. My father was with me. I wasn't really alone. I'm never alone, just like he would normally say. So eventually, I picture them moving on to a different topic. He's like, change the subject, John. Come on, change the subject. Mom didn't like this one. All right. So someone on the family system, hey, Jesus, are you, are you going to share at, the ch- at church on Sunday? Or it would be Sabbath or Saturday? Are you going to share at church? Oh, I got something in mind. Imagine him saying that. And then one of the family members says, speaks up and says, well, Jesus, let me tell you what. Just don't speak about money. You know, don't, don't do that because, you know, that would be offensive to your cousin Joe. He's going through a tough time right now. So don't be coming into church on Sunday and talking about how your father owns a cattle on a thousand hills and stuff like that. Don't, don't, don't be doing that. That would be offensive to him. And then another family says, again, this is not in the Bible. <laughs> this is my imagination right here, okay? So another family member says, oh, yeah, and don't talk about healing either. Your cousin so-and-so or family member recently, they just had someone die of something. So don't be talking about healing. That would be offensive to them too. And then another family member says, and don't talk about oppression or captivity or anything like that. You know, people here are still sensitive about our time in Egypt. They don't, they don't want to be hearing about that anymore. So don't be talking about that. Just talk about Moses. Just talk about the law. Talk about something everyone's going to agree on. It's going to make everybody happy, and that'll be good. And Jesus didn't do that, did he? I'm thankful that Jesus didn't do that. I'm thankful that Jesus talked about things that sometimes do make people upset. Sometimes do make us angry, but some stuff that we need to hear. Amen? I'm thankful he didn't have a fear of man to the point where he respected what man said more than he respected what God had to say. Amen? So he shared, uh, he shared these things with them. He shared from Luke 4, which was really from Isaiah 61. But what was it about this message that made them so angry? Have you ever thought about that? So why did Jesus start talking about offense right after he preached from Isaiah 61? It didn't seem anything offensive in there. Like, this is good news, all right? He's anointed to do all this stuff. Yeah. You think that wasn't their response, was it? So something he said or did offended them. And that's why they said, isn't this Joseph's son? What's he doing talking like this? Why is he saying this stuff? He could clearly say that, tell they were offended. So it may have happened when he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That part wasn't in Isaiah 61. That part he added. And he added because... He's the fulfillment of all scripture. 
But they didn't know that. They just saw him still as Joseph's boy, Mary's boy, you know, the kid from down the road, whatever. And so what does this imply when he said that? Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It implies to us, but even more so to them, that he's the fulfillment of those scriptures. And that he's the one these scriptures are writing about. He's saying that he is the Messiah. And when they said that, they didn't like it. It's funny, I'm sure they prayed for the Messiah to come, probably almost daily, if not weekly, for the Messiah to come. And then he's come, he came born in his hometown, and they don't recognize him. How did they think he did those things? I don't know how, logically, how did they think he walked on water, and how he multiplied bread and fish, and how did he heal all those sicknesses and diseases? They hadn't seen that before. So obviously they got offended with him. That's possibly one way they got offended. Another possibility why they were offended comes from when he sat down. Luke 4.20, I'll read it again. Then he closed the book, which is really a scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all, of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. So Jesus went back to his normal seat, like when you guys come up and gave your offerings or stuff. Then you went back and sat in your normal seat. Not everybody stared at you the whole time you walked up here. And then you walked back to your seat, you know. But something that he did when he sat down caused everyone in the room, their eyes to stop and be fixed on him. Okay, now it was normal for them to come and read from the, the law and the prophets every Sabbath. That was normal. And after they, when they would read it, they would stand up and read it. And when they would, when, uh, well, after they were done, they would sit down to teach. They had a seat there called the Seat of Moses. It's written about in, in the New Testament, the Seat of Moses. And they'd often sit in the Seat of Moses and teach the people. So when he sat there, still, that was a normal thing. Every guest speaker would have done that. Every Pharisee, every teacher of the law, everybody that ever spoke there would have taught from that same chair. But there's another rumor, I've seen it online, some people say it's true, some people say it's not true. You can try to look it up yourself. I had trouble finding some information on it. But there's a, there's a, a story I read online that was with a second chair in a lot of those synagogues. And those chairs are kind of like the three holy chairs we used to have back here. And some churches have, you know, for the, I don't know who the third guy is for, the, the preacher and the worship leader or something, and then I guess it's for Jesus, I don't know. But... Uh, but they, there was one chair, according to tradition, and some historians say this, some say it's not true, but I'm just going to present it to you, that there was a chair that they had in these synagogues that was left empty. It was for the Messiah to, when he comes to sit in. Kind of like the Elijah chair and the Seder meal for the Jewish Passover and stuff like that. So they had this empty chair. So there, what this person suggested that I read, that after Jesus said uh, the scripture, uh, he went and sat down in Elijah, not Elijah's chair, but in the Messiah's chair, that no one had ever been sit, ever sat in before. No one was even allowed to touch. I don't know if the kids are like, get away from that kid. Don't touch that chair. Don't, don't, that's gee, that's the God's chair. You don't to sit there. I just, I just pictured that's what my mother would do to me anyway. <laughs> I'm like, don't sit there. And anyway, and so Jesus goes and sits down in that chair and says, today, this scripture has been filled in your hearing. And then they try to kill him. His hometown. Um... So, I don't know for sure that happened, but if, it, if that did happen, if that was the case that he sat down in the Messiah chair, either way he was telling them he was the Messiah. Whether he did it from Moses' chair or the other chair, he was telling he was the Messiah, and they didn't like it. And they tried to kill him. So, um, they started saying, is this Joseph's son? Now, I'll tell you, this is, this is my own little funny version of this, just to kind of make this practical for how offended they'd be, because it's hard for us to picture some, uh, being offended uh, today, because we know he is the Messiah, we know he is the Christ, we're like, what's the big deal, they should have known that, well they didn't know it, and no one was allowed to touch that chair, or do that, so imagine this in our area, uh, a woman preacher, okay, you can, I'm going to pause for effect and laugh, and she wore jeans, okay, and she was preaching from an NIV Bible, 
from a King James only church, okay? And she started teaching on victorious eschatology and telling these people that, are, uh, that, that believe that, you know, the premillennial, whatever on their sign, they have to do this, that there's no such thing as a seven-year tribulation in the Bible. And then she started praying in tongues, and then she let them out after lunchtime, afternoon, 12 noon exactly. There'd be fire in that church, wouldn't there? There'd be fire. It wouldn't be Holy Ghost fire. It wouldn't be revival fire. But there'd be some fire in there, wouldn't there? One, she's wearing jeans as a woman. She's, she's reading the wrong Bible. She's, doing, she's giving the wrong message. She's taking her end-time teaching from us. She's, all this stuff. There'd be fire there, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. You can laugh, okay? We know. I mean, we know that you guys live here. You, you know what I'm talking about. Um, well, there was fire in this meeting after Jesus said this. And they were so stirred up, they took him to the edge of a cliff and tried to throw him off. And he's like, mm, not my time yet. And he just walked right through the middle of them. Yeah. That would be cool to see that. I saw that on the, on the Chosen, how they filmed that. It was kind of cool how they showed it, if you haven't seen it. But I want to look at this with you guys, a little bit of story. I want to show, he read Luke 4, but he was quoting from Isaiah 61. I want to look at Isaiah 61 with you guys today and see what Jesus was saying and what he's anointed to do. What he's anointed to do. What is he anointed to do in your life? What is still anointed to do today, amen? So Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now you notice on this version in Isaiah 61.2, this is where Jesus stopped. It was right here. He didn't say the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't say to comfort all who mourn. He stopped right after to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What does that mean? It's the time of Jubilee. Yeah. It's not a 50-year time. It's now is the day, the season of Jubilee. All debts are being forgiven. Everything is being canceled. He said now is the acceptable time of the Lord. You see, he didn't read the next part of the verse because now isn't the time for vengeance of our God. That is going to happen at some time in the future. But he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But he didn't say that part was fulfilled yet. That's still to come. That's why he stopped there. Okay? Um, I want you to notice, um, I believe it has everything to do with Jesus saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the rest of this has not been fulfilled yet. And so it's going to be fulfilled in the future. So Jesus, it didn't say... It said, excuse me, the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. It didn't, he did not say that then, but he could say that in the future. And he, of course, when the Holy Spirit came, he did, of course, comforts us in everything. Jesus did not come uh, to this planet to bring vengeance of our God to this world, did he? He did not. Even though some people talk like that, they think God's like that. They can't wait for California to fall off the edge of the world for an for earthquake and fall into the ocean and stuff like that. And they don't know God. If you still know God through the Old Testament law and not through the New Testament of Jesus Christ, we're missing out on who he really is. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world or to kill everybody. He sent them, and he was into the world, but he might save them. He came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee, not just a year, but from now on it's Jubilee time until the end, until it's all up. And then it's even more Jubilee, praise God. (laughs) It's going from Jubilee to Jubilee. And, uh, a time of favor from our God, and, to, and he came to claim saying that Jesus said he is the anointed one. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. Amen? So there's a time of vengeance of, of our God coming at the end of the world with people that reject the Messiah, that reject Jesus as Savior and Lord, but it wasn't that time yet. 
And I, I, it's, it's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. I don't think Jesus is up there going, I can't wait to come back so I can send everybody to hell. I don't see that. And for me personally, I, I have a tough time praying for, like people do, because they want to pray for this escape from this world, what's going on right now. They want to get an escape out of here and get to heaven so our life will be easier and it'll be nicer. And when I, I can't pray that, because if I'm praying that, I'm, to, in my mind, sentencing six billion people to go to hell. Or whatever the number is. I'm praying for revival fire to come on this planet and save as many as possible. And that's what Jesus said. I didn't come to kill them. I came to save them. It's not my will that any of them should perish. I want every single one of them to go to heaven with me. But they got to receive my sacrifice. they got to receive my offering, my one-time sacrifice of his blood for the redemption of their, uh, and the forgiveness of their sins. So Jesus was anointed to preach all kinds of things, but he was anointed to preach good news to the poor. He was anointed to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison for those who are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what it said in Isaiah 61. But Luke 4, which we read earlier, it was worded differently. And I want to show you this. It says, to preach the good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives. Those three are exactly the same. But then the next three are worded differently. Recovery of sight to the blind... He didn't say that in Isaiah. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That part was the same, the last part. So it makes you wonder, did Jesus misread this, misquote this? What was going on here? Why did he, did he change it? Did he add something to it? No, he doesn't. It's just a different translation and different understanding. There's so many different words in the Hebrew and Greek are so filled with meaning that sometimes translators pick one instead of putting like, like Amplified does, it puts like 10 different things of what it means in there, which is good. But sometimes they just pick one of them that they think means the most and sticks it in there. And so most likely Jesus was reading from an older Hebrew version of Isaiah 61 and not a newer Greek translation. The Dead Sea Scrolls contained multiple copies of the book of Isaiah. Among them, they found a Hebrew version of Isaiah 61.1. And instead of saying freedom to prisoners, refers instead to the release from darkness or opening of the eyes of the prisoners. Some of these prisons are talking about back in the day where these were caves, these holes in the walls, these deep, deep dark pits. And in these prisons, there was no light. It was kind of like you go into the Linville Caverns in there. You go in there and you can't see anything. They shut the lights off. You, can't, you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. And the, the fish in there are blind. Remember, they've never seen light and all that kind of stuff if you've been there. And there's, he's saying these people are in such darkness. They've never seen light. It's like they're blind. So now we know that Jesus also healed blind eyes. And in, this, in the original text, it can mean either one of them. But when people are, you ever see people that are just blinded from the truth? I mean, some of the, sometimes it's just the most basic, you think, common sense stuff to you. Like, why can't these people see this? The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the glorious light of the Messiah and get saved. All right? So sometimes we need to be praying for those blinders to come off from the devil so they can see that light. But he said he's anointed to take them out of that dark place where they can't see and bring them out into the light. Remember, he chanted out of darkness into light, out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom. He bring them out of darkness so they can see the light and be saved and set free. Amen? He's anointed to do that. He's anointed to take us out of darkness. He's going to take us out of prisons, out of darkness. It didn't mean an actual prison for John the Baptist, his cousin, because he was executed in prison and had his head chopped off. 
It didn't mean it for that, but it's talking about our spiritual prisons that we can experience in life from the enemy. He is anointed to get you out. Amen? You guys good? You guys are really quiet, so I'm just like, I was like, did I say something wrong? Did I think I saw you good? Their blindness was directly connected to their captivity. Amen? It was directly connected. So Jesus came to loose our chains and lead us uh, out from a dark prison and into the light so we could see the truth that will set us free. I'll say it again. Jesus came to loose our chains and lead us uh, out from a dark prison and into the light so we could see the truth that will set us free. Jesus is anointed to do six things. And I'm not going to go over all six of these today, but I'll probably share some more of this next week. But he's anointed to preach the good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, take them out of darkness into light, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he is still anointed to do that today. Amen. 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 Today. He did not change, okay? So what would the good news to the poor sound like? I'm going to meddle a little bit. I just, I, I, after John prayed for me, I'm like, hmm, I felt this little, little bit of fire come back in me. I just want to meddle a little bit because I, 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 I get tired and frustrated by the religious spirit yeah. that wants to make it spiritual to be poor. Okay? It's not spiritual to be poor. If it was spiritual to be poor, then why did God instruct us to give to the poor? Wouldn't we be hindering their spirituality by helping them? It's not even logical. Poverty, the Bible says, is a curse. It's a curse. That's why we're having to help all these people in Uganda and all these other nations. They are super crazy poor, and it's a curse. It's not a blessing. They're not calling us up and saying, hey, how can we send money to you guys and bless you and your vision and stuff? They're needing money just to send their kids to school. And it's, we had calls this week saying, my kids haven't eaten in two days or three days. Can you, can you send some money? The orphans are having to go home. We don't have money. It's a curse. And Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. Well, guess what? If you were poor, good news wouldn't be, hang in there, brother. It's going to get better. Go shoot some bubbling crude in the ground and you go to Beverly Hillbillies and up come to the ground. Bubbling crude. Like, poverty, it's not just poverty. The whole mentality of poverty is not God. God doesn't think in terms of poverty. He doesn't, he walks on gold. He makes pearly gates. He does this stuff. He doesn't think poverty. Okay, and I'm not I'm not against anyone who's who's struggling financially. The church is there to try to help people with that. But Jesus was anointed to preach good news to you. If you are struggling financially, there is a burden remover, a yoke destroyer that can remove that poverty from your life. He wants you to have influence in the, in this earth. The Bible says no one will listen to a poor man. So if no one's going to listen to us, then we have no influence. If we have no influence, how are we going to help change the world to be more like Jesus? We have to have money because money is going to influence people. We just can't have money that has us. You know, we don't, don't want money to own us. We don't want, we want to be a, like a conduit of the money that can flow through us, through the kingdom, and go out to the people that God wants it to go to. Yeah. Amen. Not sticky fingers, not greedy, but we're not going to get, not going to help people by preaching poverty. Right. Amen. Okay, right. say, what, are you one of those health and wealth preachers, pastors? I'll say this. I am not a poverty or sickness preacher. I'll tell you that. Amen. Because Jesus came to destroy those things. And both of those things are labeled as curses in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 28, you can read it. You're going to be cursed in every possible way if you disobey the law. But Jesus redeemed us from that curse. Why? So the blessing of Abraham can come upon us. Of course, that is righteousness, but it's other stuff too. Abraham was very blessed, wasn't he? People, I think, I, think I, I struggle with people over-spiritualizing the Bible sometimes. 
Well, the, yeah. oh, brother, that just means spiritual poverty. Well, I do believe it means spiritual poverty. We were absolutely spiritually bankrupt. We were totally, there was nothing we could ever do in ourselves to get right with God. There was nothing we could do. He did redeem me, praise God, from spiritual bankruptcy. Yes, he did. But that's not all. Amen. And I don't, I don't know how we can ever get to the all of it, what he did. Because the more you get close to God, the more you're going to see like, wow, he, he really helps you. He wants to help you in every area of your life. Every, every area. You know, the Bible says this verse, and people want to spiritualize this verse too. Second um, Corinthians 8, 9. For you know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Tom went in heaven, yet for your sakes he became poor on earth, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now I'm not trying to say this is only talking about money. Because clearly it's talking about our spiritual condition. I totally 100% believe that. But is it limited to just that? I think the word rich is what's offensive. I think in, in some of the maybe other people you heard speak is offensive. But basically, if you are praying for just your own needs to get met, you are a selfish person. I'm a selfish person. If you're praying that God's just going to give you just enough so you can pay your bills, that's selfish. Because the Bible says we're supposed to give to the poor. We're supposed to tithe. We're supposed to help finance the kingdom work of God. We should be praying to have more than enough. The Bible says to give on every occasion without finding fault. And if that verse doesn't challenge you, I don't know. Because I get asked a lot for money. Especially from uh, Pakistan and India, Uganda, other places. I get asked a lot. And I don't, it, it, sometimes it's like, Oh, I wish they'd stop asking me or I wish I could unplug or just like disconnect or whatever. And they're in their real needs, some, hopefully all of them. But uh, yeah. he became poor right. so you can become rich. Now, I'll tell you this. Okay, cause I'm meddling here. I know I'm meddling, but I'm just, it's okay. I like it sometimes. Hope you guys do too. But uh, <laughs> um, money is neutral. It's really just going to highlight what's already in your heart. If you were generous before, you'll be generous after. If you were poor before, if you were stingy before, you're going to be stingy after. If you're greedy before, you're going to be greedy after. It's just a highlighter of what's already in your heart. Money is neutral. And it doesn't say that money is evil. It says the love of money is evil. I think the church has done a disservice to the kingdom of God and to the ownership even in our own country of how we've given away all these things that the church invented, Jews invented, the church invented, Einstein invented, Christian believers invented these things. We gave them away for the sake of we want to look spiritual by being poor. And it's foolish. It's foolish when it influences, like every college and university, almost everyone, who started them? Who started the hospitals? Catholic churches and Christian people everywhere. And now all of a sudden they're all, now they're all government ran because we've got to come out and be separate. I'm telling you, it was a mistake to come out and be separate. We come out and be separate in our hearts, separated from sin. We're not separate from this world. We're in this world. We're not of this world. We're supposed to influence this world till all the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. That's going to be influence, and it's going to take money. You can't, you can't even drive to church today without spending some money. It's going to take money to do things for the kingdom. And I know we've heard other people teach on TV or whatever, and you thought they were greedy because they put air conditioning in their dog houses and stuff like that. And yeah, that probably wasn't right. It definitely wasn't right. You know, whatever. But we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's still, Jesus had multiple women following him around all throughout his ministry, funding his ministry. 
You read that. It's in the Bible. You saw it in the Chosen movie. They, have, they, they went with him, and they funded it. It takes money to preach the gospel. It takes money. Right now, we have people in Africa ask us, we're going to do the Christmas party for them again this year. And I looked at the bill, and I might have to modify some, but they need about $1,600. But guess what? It's for 200 children. And, they, and last year, if you guys remember, what they asked for for Christmas, they wanted the kids asked for a piece of bread and some sugar. Yep. Man, there's something not right about that, guys. I'm just telling you. And I said, well, I'm, there's, I said there's no way on earth our church is going to give you these kids a piece of bread and some sugar. Uh, we're, we'll give you, pick, tell those kids to pick out an outfit, and we're going to help them get an outfit, some kind of clothing, shirt, shoes, whatever, something. And we're going to do something to help them. And now it's Christmas time. Get close to it. They're asking again. So be yeah. thinking about that. But the word poor here, I want to just tell you what it means. I do think it means spiritual poverty because we were absolutely spiritually poor. I do think that. I just don't think it's limited to that. We need to invite God into our financial situation. He really does own the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the inventor. He's the one who deposited E equals MC squared into Einstein. Einstein. He's, he is all genius on every topic. I heard a story last night from Randy and Lisa, but a friend of theirs, that God downloaded some idea to take a rock and take some copper on this rock, make it into a tree, put little gemstones on this thing, and even in a dream, showed them exactly how to do it, even how to bend the metal, the whole thing. And the guy's making about 170000 a year now off of rocks that cost him about $3 to make each. If that number offends you, um, I'm sorry, but God wants you to have more. Whether you're at $5 right now, $100 right now, or you're at $1,000 right now, whatever is in your account, God wants you to have more. He's the God of more than enough. He is not El Chipo. He is El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. He is. And I just, I just can't, I just can't, I, I, I get struggle sometimes with trying to water down something to make a paint a picture of a way that God wasn't. That's right. Do you know how they knew it was Jesus on the shore that morning? When they after the resurrection, he's he's cooking fish and tells them to cast this side. How they know it's him? They couldn't see him. He's too far away. They couldn't see him. How they know it was him? When abundance started sinking their boats, Peter's like, "Forget the fish." He just jumped in and I'm going to go see Jesus. He is abundantly rich in every way. And And we'll say this: money will not make you happy. Money is not the answer. But I'm telling you, lack is not the answer either. Jesus is the answer. And I'll I'll tell you, because there's many, many rich people that are killing themselves today. And it's not because they're afraid of the stock market crashing, or maybe they are, maybe who knows what they're all afraid of. But they are killing themselves when they have everything they could ever want paid for, and yet they're still not happy. I thought thought I'd be happy if I bought this yacht, or if I bought this, this, and I bought this, that. They thought I'd be happy. You know what? They won't be. Because you can only find it in Christ. But... Just because you are in Christ doesn't mean you can't have wealth. Are you okay? Yeah. All right? All right. Okay. It's probably more than I wanted to say anyway. But um, I think sometimes TV preachers have given things a bad name. And people assumed that someone was greedy because of the way they're saying it. And maybe some of them were. I'm not their judge. And I don't want to be their judge. I couldn't imagine if my name was my last name was Dollar, and uh, and God asked me to preach on money every Sunday for like a year or something like that. Like I would really struggle with that. I'm like, okay, God, I can't do that because everyone's going to think I'm doing this for the wrong reason. Now I don't know Creflo personally, but I do know that he's he's given away houses before, yeah. and he's given away he's paid off people's loans before and given stuff like. 
And Kenneth Copeland gets a really bad name on TV and in, in, in people's uh, you know, religious circles because he's the wealthiest pastor in America, according to what I've read. And they have a problem with that. Because they think the pastor needs to be poor, which means you need to keep him humble. It means you can't have anything. I mean, the cap that you set on your pastor is the cap you're setting on yourself. Come on. I mean, I didn't mean to say that, but <laughs> I, that, oh, well, I, think, I think it might be God. <laughs> but uh, the blessings flow from the head down. I mean, you shouldn't want your pastor to be dirt poor and they can't pay attention or anything else. I mean, you, you should want them to be... Uh, uh, they're so stressed about their bills, they can't write, you, uh, write a good sermon or spend time in prayer because they're so stressed. And I'm not in that situation, so I'm not trying to say that I am. I'm just saying we should want them to be blessed because as you bless them, the blessing is going to flow down to us. Right. And so I think it's the fear of someone being greedy or stingy or, or hoarding or whatever. Kenneth Copeland, I, just, I know a little bit about his story. I used to, because Holly and I used to give financially to him when we didn't have a church. We sent all of our tithes to him for, I don't know, two, three years, something like that. And I remember when he first bought his property, God told him there's oil on this land. Next thing you know, he's got oil on the land, and he's, he's paying for all their uh, uh, utility bills and all stuff off the oil on the land. Well, that's not greedy. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. The guy's giving away houses, land, airplanes, and all this kind of stuff, like giving away for free to other ministries, other people, and yet he's considered by many to be this greedy man when he's probably one of the most generous men on the planet. And I think it's religion wants to paint this picture. The devil wants to paint this picture. As the Bible says, if you give to the Lord, you're going to be repaid. You give to the poor, you're going to be repaid. If you uh, put your life down, sacrifice your life, uh, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. They love the part about seeking first the kingdom, but then God adds all these things to them, and they judge them as as greedy. Now, I I don't know him personally. I've been to several of his meetings, and I, 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 I still like him. I do. Uh, but some people don't because of money. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if he was guilty, they'd be different, okay? But if he's not, and you don't know that he is, then why judge him harshly? Because God's blessed him. Right. You wouldn't like Abraham either then. Come on. You wouldn't like him. You definitely wouldn't like Solomon. Oh, you wouldn't like King David. That's right. Who would you have liked? We're just such bigots, I think, sometimes. Oh, such... <laughs> about stuff that we don't, we want to judge people because we're jealous that they might have more than us. Wow, and I just say, it's not right. And man, I don't know where my notes are because I just went everywhere. But um, I really feel like if we're, if we're going to do the things God wants us to do in this house, it is an if right now. Does God want us to do them? Yes. Yeah. But guess what it's going to take? It's going to take money. It's going to take time. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take effort, energy. It's going to take all hands on deck. This is a much bigger thing than just our small building we have here in Plumtree. It's the, the, the vision of this house is, is global in some ways. And there's other buildings, other stuff, other stuff that God wants to do. And guess what? It's going to take financial backing. And I don't think we should be ashamed of that. I think we should have open books. Look in our, anyone has access, you can see that we're not embezzling anything, we're not cheating anything, we're not putting AC units in our dog houses and stuff. That's cool. I mean, 100% above and beyond accountability, absolutely. Because it's God's money. It's not my money, it's not the elders' money, it's, not, it's, it's God's, and it's for the kingdom. You're not going to care when you get to heaven if you had $2 in your account, if you had $200 million in your account, you're going to be in heaven. But in the meantime, why not have more so you can help your neighbor? Amen. 
and tell them about Jesus. You know how many people get saved by, by, even by generosity? I heard a story recently about this, uh, this pastor, and he's a very wealthy pastor. And he, he's written books and other stuff. He's got money coming in. And, uh, you know, Jesus was Jewish too, just so you know. I mean, they talk about money a lot. Are you guys okay? I don't know why Gentiles can't talk about money. It's supposed to be this dirty thing, like, oh, don't talk about that in church. No, we should talk about church. We need to know how to get it and that, what to do with it, how to invest it, how to take care of it, how to not be wasteful in it, how to be, you know, wise. Amen? So uh, this guy, uh, he's, he's had some guy over his house installing some stereo equipment or something in his house, and the guy seemed really down. And he's like, what's going on? You seem like you're really upset about something. He said, well, one of my family members just recently died. And we don't have any money for the funeral. And I, we don't, they were a poor family. He goes, I don't know how we're going to pay for this. And he heard the Holy Spirit say, pay for their funeral. He's like, he doesn't even know him. He just met him that day. And so at the end of the day, he's done his work. He said, I want you to know something. Uh, the Lord told me to pay for your funeral expenses for your, for your loved one. And we're going to cover the whole thing. Not out of the church money, out of his own money. Paid for it. And the guy's like, why would you do that? You don't even know me. He goes, because God told me to. Yeah. We're blessed to be a blessing. So then, uh, so he pays for it, then the funeral time comes, he goes to the funeral, and he doesn't know anybody there, but then they're all like, hey, are you, the, are you the guy that paid for the funeral? And they're all like hugging him and stuff, like, oh, this is, and they introduce him, this is my pastor, he paid for this funeral. And they all want to hear what he had to say now, and now he has a platform to, to speak at the funeral, because this guy changed their lives by paying for something that he had no interest or investment in. But God did, and it changed stuff. Are you guys Okay. If somebody, if somebody did something like that for you, you would never forget it. That's right. You would never forget it. And I'm just telling you, God wants us to be generous. Amen. God is generous. He is generous. Yes. He richly poured out his own blood. He richly poured out everything for you and for me. And he wants us to be like, do the same thing. The reason why we don't give more sometimes is because we're afraid we're not going to get more coming back in. I think all of us are fine with being generous until you, until you get your calculator out sometimes. Like, oh, man, well, if I give that, then I won't have this, or I can't buy my coffee, or I can't do the, this, or my whatever. And, you know, I'm not against coffee. I don't drink coffee, but whatever. It's not a spiritual reason. <laughs> Should I tell it? <laughs> uh, I'm kind of rambling anyway, but... Um, yeah, my mother had bad breath from drinking coffee. Sorry, mom. <laughs> so, if you watch it, so I said, I said, uh, I said, when I was a little kid, like I will never drink coffee as long as I live. Your breath stinks so bad. And I'm like, and so uh, that, that's that's so. It wasn't spiritual like Andrew Womack. It was uh, or whatever. But I don't anyway. So, yeah. Let me close this up before I get in more trouble. Love you, mom. Uh, yeah. Her, her breath's normally good, but you know, coffee, coffee. T- I think coffee smells bad. I think it's an acquired taste I haven't received yet. So, anyway, um, I really, yeah. God wants us to be generous, amen? amen. And I think when it's, it's fear of lack more than fear of abundance. You know, more people will crash and burn from being successful than they ever were when they're poor. It's not always a selfish prayer to say, God bless me. Uh, when, you beca- when, you, when God gives you that name or that platform or when you, whatever that looks like and, you, and you're over these budgets and over this stuff and then you fall, you have a long way to fall versus when you only just take care of your own household. 
when you're praying for God to bless you, to be a blessing, it's, it can be a selfish prayer. But it's not always a selfish prayer. When you're wanting to do it for the lost, for the needy, for the dying, for the broken, for the wounded, for the orphans, for the children, for whoever yeah. doesn't have a mom or dad out there to help take care of them. It's, 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 it can be a selfless thing to pray, asking God to bless you like Abraham was blessed, to be a blessing to multiple yeah. generations going in the future. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to stop there. You guys stand. We'll talk about more of the things that Jesus was anointed to do next week. Sorry, Mom. Uh, I was just was trying not to paint myself as I'm super spiritual, and that's why I don't drink coffee. It has nothing to do with that. Uh, I just don't like it. So, <laughs> praise God. So, uh, God, um, we thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And you are El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. Oh, yes. And I do pray, even in our homes and our families right now, that we would be bold enough to pray, not from greedy hearts, but from generous hearts, that you would bless us to be a blessing. Yes. That we could pay for someone else's funeral expenses. We could pay someone else's hospital bills or do something to just bless somebody, not so they'd come to our church or some other Just bless them, to bless them, to love them, to show them the gracious kindness of our Lord and Savior Jesus like you've shown to us. God, I pray you take the cap off our limitations of our mind and our imaginations of what you can speak to us, what you can do through us, like Randy and Lisa's friend who got the idea to make these things. I just pray for innovation to be released yes. in these mountains, new jobs, increase. Yes. Let people flock to the mountains in increase, in abundance, in abundance. I pray for our Christmas tree workers, Lord. You'd prosper them and make them abundantly fruitful to bless this area. And God, I pray for uh, more than a financial blessing. We pray for a spiritual blessing on this area, hearts, lives, that we would be generous, loving, anointed to do these things just like you. In Jesus' name. God, I pray uh, if there's any curse of anybody of poverty, cycles of things repeating again and again and again, those cycles will be broken off their family line in Jesus' name. Man, I feel that. Um, cycles, repeated cycles of poverty in a, fam- in a family line. Or you have enough, but it's just every time you feel like you're about to get just a little bit more ahead and boom, something happens and this happens and the wheel falls off, something goes wrong. I pray those cycles would break in the name of Jesus. Jesus is anointed to preach good news to the poor. He's anointed, anointed the anointed one, to preach the, uh, good news to us. And we just thank you, Lord. Yes. I bless your people right now. Thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. hope that landed. <laughs> God bless you. Have a great day. Amen. <laughs>